millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by, if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 73, Lenny Bellardo. Today's proverb is unattributed. I'll read it twice. Don't smile before Christmas. Once more, don't smile before Christmas. If you have never heard this saying before, it might be because you're not a teacher. Many disciplines and trades have their own proverbs, some of which ultimately move outside or expand outside the discipline or the trade and take on a universal value. Don't burn your bridges, for example. That's the sort of proverb we can imagine some sort of general speaking. And what begins as a sort of military strategy ends up becoming this sort of universal human idea that has wide-ranging applications. Likewise, bad money drives out good money. That's originally an economist's proverb, but also has these wide-ranging applications. Bad money drives out good money. Bad students drive out good students. I did an episode on this proverb a while ago. Don't smile until Christmas is one of those things that old teachers say to young teachers. It's a teacher's proverb. It's a veteran teacher's proverb to the young who are just beginning a career in the classroom. I think, broadly speaking, it means begin strictly and then loosen up. So the saying is not, don't smile in the classroom, it's don't smile before Christmas. You have to begin the year 
with discipline and then move into something more personal, more friendly, I suppose. But you can't start that way. A lot of young teachers err in wanting the right things. And I would say one of those principal ways in which young teachers err is by wanting to be well-liked. When I first began as a teacher, I wanted to be well-liked. The thing is, students can tell when you want to be well-liked, which is simply to say that students can clock weakness. And they can withhold their affection until you do what they want you to do. And that might sound rather sinister, and I don't mean that all teenagers are like that, all students are like that. But a class of 17 students can be swayed by four or five dominant figures who may or may not be virtuous, obedient young men and women. And if the students can tell that your primary interest, that your first priority, top priority in class, is to be well-liked, they know they can hold that over your head. They know that they can keep their sympathy, their kindness, their affection from you until you run class the way that they want you to. Now, what I'm about to say might sound strange, but here it is. I think it's arrogant and selfish to want to be well-liked. I think it's some terrible sin, but I do think that it's arrogant to want other people to like you. Now, I'm not saying that it's selfish to care what others think. There's a proverb of Christ, uh, the proverb, or the, I'm sorry, the parable of the persistent widow. And the parable of the persistent widow begins, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So I'm not saying it's wrong to care what people think. But caring what people think and wanting to be well-liked are two entirely different desires. If you're a plumber, it isn't wrong to work in such a way so that other people will judge you a competent plumber. That, I believe, is a certain kind of trust in society, that society can determine what a competent plumber is and that society is generally trustworthy, that when society says you can trust this plumber, you can trust this mechanic, that society is usually right and that the desire to build up the sort of reputation that society judges um, as, as high quality or excellent, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but again, this is not the same thing as wanting to be well-liked. Why do people want to be well-liked? 
when you hear somebody say this, oh, I want to be liked, ask them why. Oh, why do you want to be well-liked? See what they say. I would submit to you that most people want to be well-liked for the same reason that most people want a glass of cold champagne. It's pleasant. Feels good to drink a glass of cold champagne. Feels good to be well-liked. But why would anyone try to be well-liked when they could just try to be good instead? If you're good and people like you, then good for them. At the same time, some people are hated because they're good. Cain hated Abel because Abel was good. The owner of the vineyard in Christ's parable about the workers that are hired at different points in the day. The owner of the vineyard who is cornered by the workers hired early in the day and say, what about us? We endured the heat of the day. Why are we getting the same as those that are hired late? The owner of the vineyard responds, Is your eye evil because I am good? Or Job. Job's life is miserable. And he is hated by the devil because he's good. If Job were not so good he could have escaped the devil's attention. This might sound strange, and I do mean it euphemistically, but if Job wasn't so good, he could have even escaped God's notice. It's the goodness of Job that calls God to point him out to the devil. If Job had been a sort of milquetoast figure, he would not have inspired the hatred of the devil or the love of God. The deep love of God. The respect of God. Have you, con have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. God compares people. Don't smile before Christmas means that a teacher has to figure out some way of relating to his students other than being a friend. If you want to be a good teacher, you can't primarily conceive of your relationship with your students as an academic friendship. You have to figure out some other way of conceptualizing who you are to them. We want, the modern person really wants all relationships to be friendships. Have you noticed this? We want all relationships to be friendly ones. And the idea that there would be a relationship that was ongoing, that was not a friendship, is offensive to us. It seems standoffish to us. It seems arrogant. A relationship is arrogant if you're not trying to transform it into a friendship. I think the modern person believes that, especially modern Christians. Why do we think this? Well, 
I've made this point on other episodes. Friendships are democratic. Friendships are based on equality, not on authority. There's no one in charge of a friendship. And if you find a friendship where there's one person in charge, it often does not seem like a stable friendship. When there's a clear hierarchy in a friendship, you observe it and you wait for the person who's bossed around to get fed up with it and begin making some demands of their own. A healthy friendship is based on equality. In this sense, a healthy friendship is supernatural. Because there's no equality in nature. Equality is not a natural concept. We don't see equality in nature, just hierarchy. Nature is all hierarchical. Which is a problem for people who don't believe in the supernatural. If you don't believe in the supernatural, there's really no way that you can create equality. Equality is a uniquely religious concept. Of course, hierarchy is uh, natural, but at the same time, seeing hierarchy and not being angered at it, that requires something supernatural. It requires a kind of supernatural perspective capable of gratitude for not being in charge. I think that's not natural. I think that's supernatural. That's beyond nature. Modern people equate authority and power. Modern people don't really make a distinction between authority and power. In a friendship... Neither person has power over the other. Which is why modern people want all relationships to boil down to friendships. Because modern people don't like hierarchy. All relationships that are not pure democratic friendships involve a winner and a loser. So claims the postmodern. So claims the man who hates power who hates power and wants it very deeply at the same time. For the postmodernist, for the person who believes that all things ultimately down, uh, boil down to power, the pursuit of the equality of friendship is really the only way that human beings can interact with each other, which means they constantly have to be assessing how much power they have and figuring out ways to carefully modulate how much power they are. The modern relationship just is two people constantly recalibrating who has more power and how to give up these very specific amounts of power. And there's really no, there's no friendship possible in that. There's no equality possible in that when both sides are perpetually trying to determine whether their power is equal or not. It basically transforms friendship into a kind of mathematical equation. You might have noticed this when you watch the news. Every time that honor is given, there's a kind of apology made for 
the inequalities which glory creates. Glory and honor, deeply problematic. Glory and honor involve accumulations of power and authority. So honor's tough. Experienced teachers know that hierarchy ultimately puts students at their ease. Experienced teachers know that students don't want teachers to try to be their friends. When you're 17, you don't want a 43-year-old man for a friend. When you're 17, you really don't want a 24-year-old woman for a friend. People in their 20s come off horribly awkward to people that are 16 or 17. There's this initial attraction to them. Oh, you're one of us. But ultimately what people who are 24 figure out is that they're nothing like people who are 17. You can still remember, when you're 24, you can still remember being 17. And you might briefly indulge this fantasy that when you were 17, you wanted a 24-year-old friend. You wanted a 24-year-old teacher to be your friend. But once you actually try that, you realize that it doesn't work. That you can't be friends with people you have authority over. That's what, that's what Don't Smile Before Christmas is about. It's about acknowledging that if you have authority over someone, you are not their equal. And that if you want to keep your authority... If you want to keep a healthy relationship with this person, you have to forego a friendship with the people that you have authority over. You have to be willing to conceive of human interaction as something other than perfectly pleasant. You have to be capable of thinking of human relationships in formal terms. Because a friendship is informal, right? A friendship is informal. You might owe your friends certain things, right? You might owe your friends presents on their birthday. You might have certain rights of friendship to demand a ride to the airport if your friend's not doing anything else. And there are certain petitions that friends can make of each other. And I suppose you could think of that as formality, but on the other hand, there's a certain ambiguity about what friends can ask of each other, whereas there's not really an ambiguity about what teachers can ask of students and students can ask of a teacher. The healthiest relationships between teachers and students do not involve ambiguity about who can ask who for what. And they are formal because there are rules that can be broken between teachers and students. That rules that are formally or contractually, objectively carried out because there are penalties for not carrying them out. A teacher can get fired for the way that he treats his students. Students can be expelled for the way that they 
treat teachers. There's formality there. The relationship must take a certain form. I don't know that there's limits to the love of friendship, provided that the love of friendship stays friendship. Whereas the formal relationships in the world have these clear-cut boundaries, you can and cannot do this. And again, for the modern man who equates all authority with just power and all inequalities of power as travesties, the idea that there would be rules to a friendship is unthinkable, or rules that govern a relationship is just deeply aggravating. Don't smile before Christmas means acknowledge up front that you are not a friend to your students. You can be kind to them, you can be generous with your students, and you ought to be. You ought to be kind and generous. But you can be kind and generous to a target cashier. It doesn't mean that you're friends. It's true. Friendships are... Friendships often lead to profound conversations. Maybe this is one of the reasons why rookie teachers want to be friends with their students. Rookie teachers know that they've had profound conversations with their friends. And they believe that... A friendship with their students will prompt profound conversations. But the profound conversations that you have with your friends are not ones wherein anyone has authority and can judge the other person as being right or wrong and, and effectively shut them down, which is something that a teacher must be willing to do from time to time. The conversations that occur in a friendship are, I mean, to a certain extent, they are egalitarian. They go back and forth, and one person cannot commandeer the other person's respect merely by their position, because they're equal. But it's enough to have those kind of conversations with your equals. If you are the teacher, you must be one who respects the authority of those above you and commands the respect of people who are below you. 